The scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 21, verses 9 through 19. I invite you to follow along in your own Bibles that you brought with you today, or simply to hear as the Word of God is read aloud for us today. Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom Hagar had born to Abraham, playing with her son Isaac. And so Sarah said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not inherit along with my son Isaac. The matter was very distressing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because of the boy and because of your slave woman Hagar. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for it is through Isaac that offspring shall be named for you. And as for the son of Hagar, I will make a nation of him also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. And when the water and the skin was gone, the, she cast the child under one of the bushes. And then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, do not let me look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and she wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Come, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make a great nation from him. And then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, whether because of my words or in spite of them, may your word be spoken. And whether we come with willing ears or stubborn ones, help us to hear. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Someone once accused the Bishop Desmond Tutu of South Africa of talking about love too much in his sermons. His critics said, if you keep talking about love, 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 people might get the wrong idea. People might not understand what God expects from us. They might think that there is no rule or law that they can just get away with doing all sorts of things. And in reply, Desmond Tutu said, if you believe that love opens the door for moral laxity, then you have never been in love. He said, love is so much more demanding than any law. An exhausted mother, he said, ready to drop dead into bed, will think nothing of sitting the whole night through by the bed of her sick child. Because love is so much more demanding than any law. I like that. I think it's true. I think it's true in part because Desmond Tutu did not invent the idea, though he put it very well. If you read the book of Romans, you'll find the Apostle Paul writing on the same thing, that love demands more of us than any law could. As he tries to help the first generations of Christians understand all the implications of Easter, on the one hand, Paul says that we are free from the law. 
because Jesus died and rose from the dead and forgave us all our sins while we were yet sinners, that means that we can give up on trying to be good enough or fulfill the demands of the law. But on the other hand, Paul says, our forgiveness is no excuse for doing what we want. He says, whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. And then he goes on to say, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. And at the absolute apex of his plea to the Romans, Paul says to them and to us, therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. A living sacrifice. That's awfully demanding. I wonder if you've ever seen a living sacrifice. It sounds like a contradiction in terms. Most people think of a sacrifice as something that we give up, that is lost or destroyed. The Old Testament vision of sacrifice was that something had to die. But Christians see things a little differently. We serve the risen Savior, whose body still bears the wounds that we gave him. But that same wounded body is now living and glorified. And since Christ is risen, then we have inheritance in eternal life. And now we can pour ourselves out. We can sacrifice ourselves. We can love as if we have nothing to lose. Because when you have eternal life, you literally have nothing to lose. Love is more demanding than any law. And when love is holy and true, it looks like a living sacrifice. So for these last few weeks of Easter, and if you didn't know, it's still Easter. We celebrate Easter for seven weeks because we did six weeks of Lent and we need more joy than sorrow, don't we? It's Easter right up until Pentecost, and for the last few weeks of it, we are going to be looking at sacrifice in the Scriptures and looking to the Scriptures to discover three things. We want to name and we want to celebrate and honor some of those people in our lives who are for us an icon and an image of a living sacrifice. Like that mother sacrificing the hours of sleep and her own body at the side of the bed of the child who needs her. We want to name and honor those icons of living sacrifice that move around us every day. And we want to be able to name and be aware of the ways that we fall short of our call to be a living sacrifice. Because sometimes we sacrifice others as our scapegoats rather than sacrificing ourselves. And finally, we want to see how God redeems our sacrifices. So that no good thing given up for God is ever truly lost and resurrection wins out and gives love the last word. And on this Mother's Day, as we stepped into the life of Hagar a moment ago, we caught a glimpse of a living sacrifice and of a love that is more demanding than any law. And this story ends in redemption and triumph and hope, but it does not get there easily. 
If you are not familiar with Hagar and Ishmael's backstory, it is not an entirely happy one. Ishmael is Abraham's oldest son, and Hagar, his mother, was the slave of Abraham's wife, Sarah. And the story that we read today picks up soon after the birth of Sarah's own son, Isaac. And as soon as Isaac is on the scene, Sarah begins to resent Ishmael. And she urges Abraham to send Hagar and Ishmael away. And that is how Hagar and Ishmael find themselves alone in the wilderness, abandoned and out of water. And Hagar's heart is breaking as she hides her son in the shade of the bushes to buy him a little bit more time. She cannot bear to watch, but of course she cannot bear to walk away either. And so she is weeping for him and she keeps vigil over him from a distance though. She cannot help anymore and she feels so powerless, but neither can she leave because love is more demanding than any law. And she cries out to God. And when she discovers that God is with her, God reveals what she had not seen. The water nearby. And her very first act when she sees this is yet another act of sacrifice for her child. We are told that she fills the skin with water and brings it to Ishmael. I get the impression that Hagar would not pay close attention to the instructions that they give you on an airplane. You know, those about the oxygen mask, put it on yourself first. Sure, 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 she would say. I get why I should put mine on first, but forget it. Ishmael first. She fills the skin. They are both dying of thirst, but the first sip goes to her son. She gives her boy a drink because love is more demanding than any law, and this is her living sacrifice. And it is no wonder then that God would one day say to Israel in the book of Isaiah, as a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. Or that in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus himself was weeping over Jerusalem, he cried out and said that motherhood was the best icon he had for his image of sacrifice. He said, oh, how I would gather you as a mother hen gathers her brood. And he wept. Ellen Cantoreau once said that to have a child is to have your heart running around outside your body. So if you are here today, and if by any chance at any point in your life you were a child, you are someone's living sacrifice. And that sacrifice is an icon of God's love for us and of a love that is more demanding than any law. We see in Hagar an image of a mother's living sacrifice. But of course, Hagar's story is not only the story of how she willingly sacrificed herself for Ishmael. It's also the story of how Hagar was sacrificed by Sarah and by Abraham. How they made her the scapegoat for the troubles in the household. How they chose to make their lives more convenient by their indifference to her plight and Ishmael's. 
Here in chapter 21, Abraham is more sympathetic to Hagar. We are told that he was greatly disturbed about sending her away, though we are told he was more concerned about the son. But even that concern might simply be because he was humbled by his past. Only a few chapters before in Genesis 16, when the resentments and the conflicts first arose in the household, Abraham had flatly told Sarah, do whatever you want with Hagar. If he was not actively sacrificing Hagar, Abraham was at least indifferent. He was willing to let her be sacrificed rather than finding a way for him to sacrifice himself. I don't know what it would have meant for Abraham to be a living sacrifice. And neither does he, because he did not try. For us as Christians, the radical call we have received in Jesus Christ is that we no longer have the option of sacrificing others on our behalf. We are called to be a living sacrifice. We offer ourselves as a sacrifice because demanding that someone else sacrifice on our behalf is no longer an option. We tried that once. We once demanded that one should suffer for all. We once sacrificed somebody for our sins, and that person turned out to be the Son of God. And now we know we don't have that option anymore. How could we dare to demand a sacrifice of someone else rather than choose to be a living sacrifice ourselves? Today on this Mother's Day, I'm reminded that when the church becomes a living sacrifice, When we are willing to sacrifice ourselves, one of the things that happens is that we support the mothers of whom the world demands the most. I mean, how much has this world demanded of mothers in this last year? If at any point you found yourself holding a five-year-old's right hand above a math sheet while you were holding a screen in your left hand as a teacher shuddered and buffered through another impossible lesson, You were our sacrificial lambs. I remember once talking with an older mother who was on the staff at the first church where I served. Her children were just a little bit older than me. She told me, they tell you how much your heart will break at times. They tell you how hard it is to be a mother of a young one. They never tell you how your heart breaks (laughs) And how hard it is to know what to say once they're adults. Our world asks so much of mothers, puts so many burdens on them, so many expectations, so many ways to not measure up. And sometimes those ways are in conflict with one another so that if you fulfill one, you disappoint the other. And it's a miracle how much mothers give willingly but no one was meant to go it alone and every church in this child was welcomed at their baptism by a promise that we all of us would order our lives after the example of Christ so that each child would be surrounded by steadfast love and what greater witness could we give than to meet the sacrifices of mothers with our own living sacrifice and say you don't have to do this alone I think back to our adventures in learning this last fall. 
to the mothers who came with such gratitude on their face that their children had a place to be, to learn, to find safety, while both parents went off to go work and do and serve on the front lines of this pandemic. I think to the volunteers in our nursery and Sunday school who tell the mothers and fathers who drop their children off, you do not have to be the only one to show this child God's love or tell them the stories of God. We will do it for you as well. And I think about how even on Mother's Day, the church has got folks in our nurseries and Sunday schools and children church so that some of those who are there most often might be able to have a day off and be celebrated. I think to our confirmation mentors, our youth volunteers, I think of the prayer shawls and the personal gifts that we as a church deliver to every child. And I think this is a hint of what it looks like when we refuse to let someone else make all the sacrifices for us. This is what it looks like when we honor every mother's sacrifice by making our own. And as she mothers Ishmael, Hagar shows us what it is to be a living sacrifice. And she exposes how willingly we might sacrifice another person for ourselves. But above all, Hagar bears witness that God remembers our sacrifices. Because I think that is the most difficult part of a real sacrifice, isn't it? The fear that no one will notice. That it might be forgotten were overlooked. I don't mean to imply that mothers or anyone else make sacrifices because they are looking for credit or glory. I just mean that it is hard to keep pouring yourself out when you don't know what difference it makes. It's hard to make the next meal when you know there's going to be another one after that as soon as this one gets cleaned up. It's hard to keep going when all the scrimping and the saving and the budgeting have led to exactly zero more dollars in the bank account than you had last month. When you find yourself repeating something for the thousandth time up the stairs as if you are the only person who remembers that you've said it a thousand times before. When you've sat through the whole night and it's time to sit through another one. There is a feeling of helplessness in any real sacrifice. It is an act of surrender and submission to an outcome you cannot guarantee. You don't know when they'll get it, when they'll feel better. You don't know if or when that day will ever come. But there are no more socks left in the living room. Every sacrifice is an act of surrender and submission to an outcome we cannot guarantee. But we can do it anyway. And we can surrender ourselves because we have this promise from God. I have heard your cries. I will open your eyes. And what a surprise the angel's final words are. Fear not. I have heard Ishmael's cries. 
Lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Love is more demanding than any law, but it also gives more life. And there will be a day when God opens all our eyes as he opened Hagar's and we will see all the difference that all those living sacrifices have made. There will be a day when we come to understand the role that they played because no sacrifice is ever lost to God and God sees possibilities that we cannot, a well in the wilderness. Who expects to see that? A great nation born from a single mother and her son. God can see what difference the sacrifice makes. And we, the church, we are not God, but we share God's mission. And so we can do something today like what God did for Hagar. We can see, and we can hear, and we can remember, and we can celebrate. We can say to the mothers of the pandemic year, well done, we see you. And we can say to grieving mothers and to those who are grieving children who died unnamed, God hears you and we will listen to you. And we can say to every child, we see you. And your mother church will give itself for you. And if we can be a church like that, then there's no telling what difference it might make or what sorts of things we might see. Love is more demanding than any law. But it also gives more life. May we give thanks to God for those who continually give us both life and love. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.